0: Uh, but on college campuses, for the most part, we are t- having conversations about the two major disagreements between pro-life and pro-choice people. One is what is the moral status of the unborn? Are the unborn uh, valuable persons like you and me, or are they, or are they something else? And then the other disagreement has to do with bodily autonomy. Um, even if the unborn is a person, should a woman be able to choose abortion anyway because of bodily rights?
1: Josh Brom has worked in the pro-life movement since he was 18.
0: After 12 years of full-time pro-life work,
1: he launched Equal Rights Institute to maximize his impact for the movement. He's publicly debated leaders from Planned Parenthood and NARAL and other pro-choice groups. Josh is formerly the host of a globally heard podcast turned radio TV show, Life Report. He now hosts the podcast that's attached to the Equipped for Life course. He's also a regular blogger for LifeNews.com and the ERI blog, blog blog.equalrightsinstitute.com. Let's listen to Josh's arguments for the unborn.
0: It's an honor to be here. Several years ago, I was speaking at a Catholic conference. And when I wasn't speaking kind of in workshops, I was manning a booth. And so I, there's this one point I'll never forget. I was just hanging out at this booth watching, you know, hundreds of people walk by, kind of ignoring, because most people ignore those booths. But this one kid kind of locks eyes with me, and he walks up to me. I say kid. He's like, a, he's, he's a college student. And he looked vaguely familiar, but I couldn't quite place it, which is something that happens to me, like, every day. Um, but he recognizes me. So he, he locks eyes with me. and comes up to me. He's like, Josh, how's it going? And I was like, hi. You know, I'm, like, trying to, I was like, "U-huh." Ah. And he could tell, I did, but he was really, really sweet. He said, I'm Michael. We talked at Fresno State University a few months ago. And then I remembered. I, remember, I actually remembered having a really great conversation with Michael. And I said, hi, how's it going? And he said, I'm doing great. I'm pro-life now. And I asked him the question, I always ask people who tell me that, said, what changed your mind? And he said, you know, I just kept thinking about that thing that you said about how all humans are equal. You see, I'd made an argument to him called the equal rights argument that I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on uh, talking about today. And the argument that we have seen changed more pro-life minds on the spot than any other argument in our campus work. And to Michael's credit, he wasn't intellectually lazy about it. He didn't kind of ignore the fact that his arguments had been beaten uh, or that he didn't have a counter to my argument. He kept thinking about it. He kept wrestling uh, with that fact, which is what I would like everyone to do when when they kind of find up uh, an argument like that. He kept thinking about it, and then he became pro-life. So today I want to talk to you about that argument because we found it to be most effective. First, I'll just give you a little bit of background. I knew I wanted to be a pro-life speaker when I was 11 years old. So this is no surprise to me. 22 years ago, uh, as a homeschooled kid, I found out about abortion. I read uh, Dr. Frank Beckwith's uh, first book on abortion, Politically Correct Death didn't understand half of it but I read it and then I found some tapes or my parents gave me some tapes from kind of the first guy to popularize uh, pro-life apologetics named Scott Klusendorf um, and when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up I would tell them I wanted to be a pro-life speaker basically I meant I wanted to be Scott Klusendorf when I grew up uh, and so I knew exactly what it was like I, I had this 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 urge like I want to be able to try to help stop this thing um, and I've been doing full-time pro-life work since I was 18 so I'm, I'm 33 now and uh, just so excited to be in a place where like, I felt a very strong calling from God of what I was going to be doing from a very early stage of my life, and I'm so excited to be doing it. So I'm having a great day. Um, so one of the, it was only about three and a half years ago that my brother Tim, a philosophy grad from Biola, and I got together. We, we were spending a week together. Our plan was to work on, our, on a book project, and we worked on that for like half a day, and then we just started talking about the pro-life movement um, and what we felt like could be done better. And, and we, have a, we had a very similar visions for the way that pro-life dialogue ought to be. What should it look like when pro-life and pro-choice people talk to each other? Uh, like what would it look like if Jesus talked to a pro-choice person? I'm fascinated by that question. What would his body language be like? What kinds of questions would he ask? What kinds of questions would he not? Ask. And what would it sound like when he gave arguments, uh, like like truthful arguments, not holding back from the truth, but spoken with gentleness and grace and reverence? Like, what would that look like? I want to, we want to help pro-life people to get closer to that mark, um, because this is a very, very important issue. Everyone knows that. That's why you're watching. Um but how do we actually change pro-choice minds? It is very hard to change pro-choice minds because people's views about abortion connect to a lot of their deepest views about things, their their, their views about sex and responsibility and what is a parent and all these things come into play. Um, But we've seen people change their minds about abortion. And what we're really interested in is not just uh, true arguments, meaning like there's lots of uh, logically valid pro-life arguments. We're interested in what are the ones that actually connect in pro-choice minds, people who are thinking differently than us, usually coming from different maybe uh, religious backgrounds, different political backgrounds, what will help them? And what helps especially, if, like we're focused on young, uh, like you know, pro-choice high school and college students, what will change their minds? Well, because culture changes, pro-choice high school and college students today think differently in general than they did 10 years ago. That changes everything about what we do. Because that means that when we go into college campuses, there's a primary reason that we're talking to purchase people. It's not just because we want to change this individual's mind that day or do our best. College campuses are laboratory. We love R&D. We have a a value at ERI of being innovative and flexible with our material. Because uh, if it's true that people change, that cultures change, then what is most persuasive will also change. And so when we go into campus, Roy's basically trying to beat our own arguments. Can we find new arguments that work better than the stuff that we've taught before? Or are there dialogue techniques or ways of using body language or questions that seem to help our dialogues go better? We're trying to, we're not just thinking about the arguments themselves, but how do we create an atmosphere, uh, an environment where people feel more open-minded, where they can hear our arguments better where they feel even more emotionally safe to do that we're thinking about those things too um, and so f- we've been doing this work now for the for about three years now um, and one of the like usually e- the most uh, kind of extreme story of trying a new argument and seeing it work really well is the eco rights argument Um, So a little bit of context uh, for kind of the part of the abortion discussion that we're talking about. Because the abortion discussion is a very broad one. It touches a lot of things that I'm not going to cover today. Um, I'm only going to cover this argument that is responding to pro-choice people who argue that the unborn is not a person. So on college campuses, we don't hear that many people anymore saying the unborn is not biologically alive or that it's not biologically human it happens it doesn't happen that often not on college campuses on facebook debates yes but that's a whole different thing uh but on college campuses for the most part we are having conversations about the two major disagreements between pro-life and pro-choice people one is what is the moral status of the unborn are the unborn uh, valuable persons like you and me or are they are they something else and then the other disagreement has to do with bodily autonomy um, even if the unborn is a person, should a woman be able to choose abortion anyway because of bodily rights? I'm tabling that entire discussion. It's a fascinating discussion. Maybe I'll come back later and we can we can do that sometime. Uh, but what what the ar- the equal rights argument responds to is people who are saying, "Okay, it's alive, it's a member of the human species, but it's not like you and me. It's not valuable in the same way, so it shouldn't have the same rights." as you and me. a a Pregnant woman should have more rights uh, than this child be. Or they wouldn't say child, of course. They would say this thing, this fetus, whatever. um, Because it's different in some really important way. Um, Before I explain the equal rights argument, I was going to explain a couple of reasons why I think it is so persuasive. We've been thinking about this argument a lot for for several years. Uh, The the, the, the genesis here is. my brother, Tim, and uh, my colleague, Steve Wagner, at Justice For All, uh, one of our favorite campus outreach organizations, heard this personate argument uh, from Dr. JP Moreland at Biola, this brilliant philosophy professor. And they tweaked it a bit, kind of modified it for, for use on campuses. And then we all started trying it. I started trying it. Uh, this was before ERI even existed. And then you know, a whole bunch of pro-life advocates across the country went on the campuses and started trying it. And again, like we've never seen. Like one of these tests, one of these laboratory tests works so well. I've never seen anything change more minds on the spot. And most people don't change their minds on the spot. Most people change their minds months later at best. But we do sometimes see people change their minds. And by far, we've seen them change their their minds the most often because of this argument. It actually got to the point where we would have these debrief sessions after our outreaches, like we've kind of taken down all of our gear and we're sitting in a circle on the grass and we're just kind of talking about our days. And it got to where it was kind of the same thing every time. You know, a student would raise their hand and say, I saw someone become pro-life today. I say, oh, really, what happened? Oh, I used the equal rights argument. It's like, all right, you know, it's like, I've heard this story now. I've heard this story dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, but I think that's because it is so persuasive. So a few reasons why this is so persuasive. One, it is very obviously not a religious argument. Um, when we're talking to uh, pro-choice atheists and, agno- uh, and agnostics, we're not using uh, primarily religious arguments. I'm not starting with like Psalm 139 or Jeremiah 1 five or second trimester John the Baptist kicked in his mother's womb in the presence of first trimester Jesus. Like, that's not going to work with an atheist. <laughs> Um, because because they, they you know like I, I believe that the Bible is a source for truth, but they don't. So we're starting kind of on on a on a level that where we have common ground of science and philosophy. I want to show them that uh, the, the the Christian worldview is very very reasonable um, on views like abortion. And so we sometimes those discussions turn religious eventually. Sometimes they don't. It depends. We think every conversation is a series of difficult judgment calls, amidst prayer without ceasing, um, and so. We all started testing this argument, and we, and we found it to work so well. So um, it's not a religious argument. And it's also helpful because we purposely are taking a short break in the conversation from talking about abortion. Um, and that can actually be good for the conversation, because when people are talking about abortion and they disagree, a lot of times they're tense. They're in fight mode. They're like, like super focused on preventing your argument from beating their argument versus like paying attention to whether your argument actually does defeat their argument. And so sometimes kind of helping them to kind of relax a little bit and get them reconnected with something that they are probably very passionate about can be a very good thing. And that thing is equality. Equality is something that my generation maybe cares about more than anything else. I've got a friend who is a, 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 a lawyer, and when she was she told me that when she was studying, she was taught that if she could prove when she's arguing her case that equality is on her side, she can basically stop arguing. So it's an instant win. My generation cares so much about equality, you all know that. Um, and so we're getting them in touch with that, and that's exactly what I want to do. Because what I'm about to do is I'm going to put attention in their minds. I'm going to put attention for them in between them being pro-choice and them being pro-equality. I'm going to argue that for them to truly be pro-equality, they have to be pro-life. And that is sometimes enough for them to do the massive thing of changing their minds because a lot of people that I talk to care more about being able to self-identify as someone who is pro-equality than being someone who is pro-choice. So I'm going to argue that for them to be pro-equality, they have to be pro-life. So here's kind of how the argument is structured. There's three questions in the beginning of it. The first question is this. Do we have an equal right to life? The second question is, do you think that means there's something the same about us? Which sort of naturally leads to the last question, what's the same about us? Um, An important point here. The word we and do we have an equal right to life does not refer to the unborn. Fetal personhood is not in premise one of this argument, or else this would be a very circular argument. What we're doing is we're sort of just conceding the fact that for our culture and for most philosophers, fetuses are not obvious cases of persons. So what we're doing is we are focusing on the most clear case of persons, human adults, And what we're going to do in the conversation is we're going to go deeper on that. We're going to try to ask some some kind of deep questions about that and get them thinking deeper about uh, this obvious case and then apply that knowledge to the less clear case of the unborn. So that's what's going on. Now... This isn't the way the argument sounds when I use this in real time. This is sort of the skeleton of the argument. Um, we've got a much more organic way of, of explaining it. So I'll, I'll kind of explain that. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll use a story. So last spring, we were at UC Davis in the most volatile outreach that I've ever been a part of. UC Davis is not the most pro-free speech uh, campus that we've ever been on. And uh, there were a lot of pro-choice people uh, very angry that we were there. They, were, they protested us. One, yeah, it's it's better than Berkeley. I am happy that it's better than Berkeley. Although we want to do outreach at Berkeley and kind of get to test that our, ourselves, we'll see what happens. Um, but be, and eventually, I'm literally sitting on our on our table where we kind of had this poll set up. Um, we don't put graphic pictures on signs. What we do is we just kind of uh, ask a question like, should abortion remain legal? Should it be legal up to 20 weeks? Something like that. And we have a yes option and a no option and an it depends option. We're just trying to attract people to come to us. It's not a real poll. We just want people to come and talk to us. So I'm literally sitting on our poll table and a very angry protester came up and vandalized all of our stuff, kind of pushed our stuff off the table, and everyone cheered for her and got pretty intense. Before it got really intense, though, um, I'm having the – oh, I, do, I didn't put the picture up. No, sorry. Uh, I was having this conversation with these three pro-choice uh, students, and for a while uh, they were just kind of venting at me. Uh, but eventually, to her credit, one of them asked me about my views. So he said, I want to know why you're here. What's your argument? And I said, I think I could explain to you in about two minutes why I'm pro-life. And she said, go. What would you do with that two minutes? This is what I did. I said, I'm a really open-minded person. I'm open-minded. I, 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 I am open to being wrong about all of my views except two of them. Uh, two plus two is four in a base 10 system. Uh, If that's not true, then nothing works Uh, in my own existence. Everything else is on a spectrum of confidence for me. There are some views that I'm very confident in, the pro-life view, some form of Christianity being true. There are some things that I'm very not confident in, and everything else is on this spectrum. This basically means I'm a very uncomfortable person. Uh, I hold my views with a pretty open hand, and my friends who are 100% sure that they're right about everything are just more comfortable. Um, and so I'm an open-minded person, I said, but there is one of my views that would be very hard for you to change my mind on, and it's this, that everyone that I can see right now has an equal right to life. So we were outside at, at, at the quad at UC Davis, so there's, this is where, like, most people have lunch. We could easily see hundreds of people right now. I said, look around. I think everyone here has an equal right to life. It would be very hard for you to change my mind about that, but there's something kind of interesting about that view, isn't there? Uh, There's a lot of differences. I said, look around. I see some people who are tall and some people who are short. I see some people who are really smart, and I see some people who are, you know, trying their best. Um, You've also got people who are good at sports and good at music and those that are not. I've seen uh, at least four people in wheelchairs today. There's all these differences. So how can we possibly explain this thing that we both agree on? Basically everyone in Western civilization agrees that we have an equal right to life. But how can we explain that when there are so many differences? Usually, at this point, I would stop and let them respond, and we'd go that way, but C only gave me two minutes, so I just kept going. Uh, I said, I think there must be something that we all have in common, and this is key. You can't miss this. It's got to be something that we all have equally. It cannot be something that you can get in degrees. It can't be a degreed property. In other words, it can't be like a dimmer switch it's gotta be like a light switch. It's gotta be an all or nothing kind of a thing. It can't be something you can have more or less of because we're trying to ground equality. So if someone's like, oh yeah, humans are all equal because they're all intelligent. <laughs> That's not gonna do the job of explaining equality, right? Because we're not all equally intelligent. If you don't believe that, you can just go to YouTube and read the comments under the first video that pops up. Like, you'll see, some people think better than others, and that's okay. They still have an equal right to life. I'm pro-equal rights for obnoxious internet trolls. I'm just saying intelligence is not going to be the thing that we all have in common equally. We're looking for a non-degreed property. It's got to be something that you, can, you either have or you don't. What could that thing be? Now there are lots, of, lots of pro-choice answers to this. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, in this case, once again, I only had two minutes, so I just gave her my answer. I said, I think it is something like humanness, something like being human. Um, then, if uh, and that would explain a lot of data about the world. I would explain like a lot of like when, when I kind of think about the world and uh, and equality, like that, that seems to make the most sense to me. Uh, com- you know, when I compare it to all the other answers that I've heard. Um, and if the unborn have that thing, which they totally do, then it seems like we have to give them an equal right to life, regardless of what our like intuitions are about them. And the last thing I said, I always say this: I said, notice this is not a religious argument, and it's also not an emotional argument. Like I am not pro-life for emotional reasons. I'm not pro- like I don't get the warm fuzzies when I look at a picture of an embryo. I don't. I don't get that thing like when, I'm, like when my friends, like you know recently I had friends post their, a picture of their newborn baby on Facebook, um, and in this case it was cute, you know, so there's that, like that's not always true, but they, they pictured a cute <laughs> newborn baby, it's okay, they still have an equal right to life, uh, but you know, uh, they put a picture of a cute baby and I had that reaction that basically everyone except sociopaths have, which is like, oh, the baby, you know, I had that reaction. I don't get that when I look at a picture of a zygote, I don't, it looks like a fuzzy orange to me. I'm not pro-life for emotional reasons. I said I'm pro-life because it is the most rational conclusion that I can come to. Because I'm starting with equality as premise one. I am very, very confident in equality, and I'm reasoning from there. And I have just not yet heard, and I've heard dozens of attempts, but I have not heard a pro-choice explanation for personhood um, that makes more sense than this one, That, that ends up making sense and also disqualifies the unborn. That's how we're making the argument. We're trying to show them, like, look, uh, can we agree human adults are equal? We have an equal right to life. Why? We're trying to go deeper on that. What is the thing? It seems like we must have at least one thing in common, and it's got to be something that we have equally. What could that thing be? I think it's something like humanist, But for a lot of pro-choice people, they think it's something else. They think that you need to be viable. They think you need to be sentient. They think you need to be self-aware. They think you need to be able to feel pain. Like there's all this, you know, dozens of things that we hear. Um, and so kind of the next part of this argument is how do we respond to these alternative explanations for personhood? Um, so what's happening whenever a person says to me, okay, I think the thing that we, have equal, uh, that we have equally is not humanists or anything like that, I think it's like sentient like being minimally aware of the world around you. Like I think once you have that, then you're in. Um, then what's gonna happen in my head is I'm gonna run that worldview through sort of a rubric. I'm gonna ask three test questions to kind of assess their worldview. These sort of the, 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 the the three questions are this. Does this explanation entail equal rights for adults? It almost always does. If it doesn't even do that, it like miserably fails as, as a good argument for equality. Um, but then I'll ask, does this explanation entail equal rights for infants? Because as a father who's been there for the birth of my three sons, uh, my view that newborns have an equal right to life for me is basically a properly basic belief. Like I can make an argument for it. I'm not convinced I should have to. Um, I think that one should be a properly basic belief for just about everybody. Um, And then the last question would be, does this explanation entail equal rights for animals? I don't think it should. Now, I, I never say this out loud. This is just what's going on in my head. What I'll say out loud is I'll run them through a thought experiment. I think stories are very helpful and so my brother Tim came up with a really helpful thought experiment here that we call the G-Shooting. So let's say we're talking to a person who has said I think what gets you in, so like imagine there's an equal right to life circle. Everything inside the circle gets an equal right to life, everything outside of it doesn't. We're looking for what goes in the circle, right? And so let's say they say for sake of argument sentience. You've got to be minimally aware of the world around you. Then we're going to say, okay, cool. Let's think about that. Imagine we're hanging out at the zoo. We're hanging out in front of the elephant exhibit when a gunman shows up. And he gets six bullets fired before he's tackled by Chuck Norris. It's not funny to call the students, but sometimes with, with older audiences, they get it. Okay, whatever. It's funny to me. Uh, they're tackled by security, whatever. Uh, and so let's think about those six bullets. The first bullet goes into the bushes and kills the world's unluckiest cockroach which I think is funny because I'm kind of twisted like that. Like just the thought of anything being that unlucky, I think is kind of funny. The second bullet kills a squirrel. The third bullet kills an elephant. It was a big bullet. The fourth bullet kills a newborn. The fifth bullet kills a toddler. And the sixth bullet kills an adult stock photo model. Okay, (laughs) Now, here's the question. How many of these things should be in the equal right to life circle? Like, give, like, uh, uh, assuming that this person's right, that, 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 that being minimally aware of the world around you is what gets you in. Like, we're not asking, what is the law right now? I don't care. What should the law be? How many of these things should have an equal right to life? Well, under the view that sentience is what gets you in, I count six. They're all minimally aware of the world around them. And that is the biggest problem with this view. And this is where we push back. There's a squirrel problem here. Squirrels are now in the equal rights to life circle and they just shouldn't be. Now, I want to be clear, I can find common ground with um, a lot of animal rights activists. Like I'm not, like my view is not just because animals are not equally valuable to humans means we can do whatever we want with them, that's not my view. I think the fact that chickens and cows can feel pain morally matters. So I'm concerned about the way that we treat chickens and cows on factory farms. That's where I'm at. Um, because it morally matters, like, the fact that they can feel pain, we should treat them accordingly. Um, I don't think that there should be killer whales or dolphins in SeaWorld at this point, or things like SeaWorld. Like, that's my view. I don't agree with everything in the documentaries The Cove and Blackfish, but I am convinced that because of the kinds of things that dolphins and killer whales can do, that should affect the way that we treat them. So I can find a lot of common ground. I just can't agree with the person who says, like, humans and animals are equal. Or sometimes we talk to extremists who are like, animals are more valuable than humans because at least they're not destroying the planet. Um, like, that's not where we're at. And we will give pushback. We'll push back against those views. Um, I was on a train one time from uh, going from Bakersfield to Fresno. I just come from an outreach at Pasadena City College and I was sitting across from this guy who was getting into robotics. Uh, he had this big old thick textbook, and he wants to be on the team that creates the world's first artistic robot. So we talked about... I robot and the three laws of robotics and art and things like that. And then eventually he asked me about what I do, which I have a very strange job. Um, I try to help pro-lifers to not be weird. is basically my my job. Um, and so we started talking about the outreach that I just had at, at Pasadena. And I just one of the things that I kind of uh, told him, like this observation, was that I talked to pro-choice people from all walks of life. I talked to a lot of atheists and agnostics. I also talked to a lot of pro-choice people from lots of religions. And yet, almost everybody that I talked to. Agrees that there is something special about humans, and he said, "Oh no, my girlfriend would disagree." And I said, "Really? Like I don't think so." Either. He's like, "No, I'll prove it to you. If she ever accidentally kills a bug, she has a moment of silence." I thought about that for a second. I said, "I don't, I don't think that your girlfriend thinks humans and animals are the same." Because, and I'll prove it to you. If she ever accidentally, like, ran over a kid, she wouldn't just have a moment of silence. Right? Like, are you tracking? Like, it would at least wreck her day. It would probably be the worst thing that ever happened to her, but like, it's not gonna be like this, like, she's gonna get out of the car and go, namaste and move on. It's gonna be an event, it's gonna be a moment um, in her life. It's gonna be a big thing. Um, And so, and and not all all Californians talk like this, but he literally, he was like, dude, I thought about the phrase. (laughs) I think you're right. I'm going to go talk to her about that tonight and say they had an amazing evening together. But anyway, it's like, and he was on the couch. But the the point is, uh, like, like we will give pushback to people who think that humans and animals are the same, even though we can find some common ground. I do not think humans and animals are morally equal, even though I think we should treat animals um, well, uh, given the kinds of things that they can do. So... Sometimes what happens at this point of the conversation is we as I have pointed out the squirrel problem saying that being minimally aware of the world around you means that squirrels are now in the equal right to life circle as well and cockroaches too. like this is a big problem. This is not I don't think this is the world that I live in and this is like our pushback. Sometimes what happens here is they change targets. They will see the problem, and they'll be like, oh, okay, we don't, I don't want a scroll problem. So they'll raise the bar, like literally. They'll like find a try to find a more advanced thing that they could pin personhood on so that they can not have the scroll problem. So they might say, okay, well, you need to be self-aware. And I'll say, what do you mean by self-aware? Because I've heard like 20 different definitions. Of like let them define their, the, the, the terms that they use. Um, I can work with whatever they say. So let's say they say like you need to be aware that you're a unique entity that will exist over a period of time. Cool. Okay. Let's work with that. Zoo shooting, cockroach, squirrel, elephant, newborn, toddler, adult woman. How many things go in the equal right to life circle? Because I count three. The adult woman, the toddler, and the elephant, but not the newborn. Because newborns are not self-aware like that until probably somewhere between three and six months after birth. Whereas elephants are one of the few animals that pass a lot of self-awareness tests. For example, if you put a red dot on the forehead of an elephant and put it in front of a mirror, it will use its trunk to rub at the dot. That indicates that it can tell that it's looking at its own reflection and not a similar-looking elephant. They also mourn their dead in really interesting ways. They'll have a whole like a gravesite sort of memorial service, burial service, and then leave and come back even years later and have another memorial service for that dead elephant. That indicates to me and a lot of people uh, that elephants are somewhat self-aware and aware of their existence over a period of time. So. This view, the self-awareness is what gets you into the equal right-to-life circle, has two problems. See, all the pro views have at least one of these two problems. They either let too many things into the equal right-to-life circle, like squirrels, or they exclude too many things, like newborns. These are always the problems that we're pointing out. I'll say it again. They are either including too many things into the circle like squirrels, or the entire animal kingdom sometimes, depending on their definition, or they're excluding too many things that obviously are in the circle, like newborns. So uh, we will point that out. and We will push very hard. It seems like in this view, newborns don't get a right to life. Uh, elephants do. And I don't think we should kill elephants, by the way. I, I don't think that elephants are equal with humans. In other words, if 50 elephants were like rounded together in a field and killed, I think that would be really morally wrong. But I don't think it would be as wrong as if 50 humans were rounded up in a field and killed. Okay, that's that's the distinction for me. Um, so the elephants we give has, is in the equal right to life circle now, and the newborn is not. These are two big problems. We'll push hard against both. Now there are other things that we can say. A lot of times we can talk about interesting temporary coma cases and other things. What I'm saying is that in our experiences. Um, just between my brother and I, we've had about 3,000 conversations now with pro-choice people. From our experiences, pointing out these two problems is more persuasive. Remember, that's what we're interested in, is what is actually going to connect with pro-choice people, so we are pointing out these problems. So to sum up, we're, trying to sh- uh, we're, we're asking people to think about this obvious case of persons. Instead of like starting with the unborn, we're taking a little break. Let's think about human adults, let's go deeper on that. Why do they even have an equal right to life? Well it seems like for this to give them an equal right to life they must all have something in common, something that they all have equally. What could that thing be? I think it's something like humanness. Um, They might think it's something else and when they point out these kind of uh, alternative views whether it's viability or ability to feel pain or able to think or like all of these different things that we hear We're just going to think about that in the context of the Zhu shooting analogy. How many things are in the eco right to life circle under their world view? And we will point out when their view includes too many things like squirrels or excludes too many things like newborns and try to show them that it seems like the view that makes the most sense based on the world around us and and people's kind of uh, intuitions when their moral compass is working well, um, it seems like their views are far worse in the pro-life view that we should treat humans
1: equally. Today, we're going to examine this equal rights argument with our own Catherine Beck Johnson, Research Fellow for Legal and Policy Studies. Catherine, it's great to have you this morning.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Matthew. It's great to be here.
1: Good. Here is in the the floor right below where you usually are.
2: Yeah, it's a nice, convenient walk.
1: Right. It was probably 50, 75 steps. It's easy.
2: <laughs> Getting my steps in.
0: Yeah.
1: So this was a really good podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it and taking notes for my future debates that I have constantly with my family and friends who disagree with me about everything. The first thing that I hadn't even considered when he talked about the abortion debate was that people's views on sex and responsibility inform how they think about abortion. And I never thought about that before, but it's true because I think you know most of the time people you argue with about abortion tend to have view what people like us might consider the more lax view on responsibility as it relates to sex. Do you find that, I mean, I know you like to have these rousing debates with people about all kinds of things. I do. Did you do you ever find that sort of pattern with the people that you talk to about this who would disagree?
2: Yeah, I think that that's accurate to say. A lot of people who kind of are pro-life view sex and responsibility as linked and really view, also I would say even expands to their view of marriage and the family as well.
1: Yeah. And then the, the – so have you ever tried this whole personhood? Have you gotten into someone where they do the personhood argument and then you had to respond with something else like – like do you draw – do you lean into the personhood thing? Or like how he says, he's like – you're almost like forget the personhood. This is about the quality. And then like that whole thing works because I never tried that before and have still had moderate success sometimes. But
2: Yeah, you, I mean I think – As he said, I mean, we're both millennials, and our generation cares a lot about equality. So I think really pointing to, is this just, works well with our peers and our arguments. And that's what's been the most effective. And I mean, as he said, he's been on these college campuses. That really seems to be what captivates the younger people.
1: Yeah, like when I was on college campus, I mean, I would debate this with people all the time on college campus, and I never... They actually didn't even bring up the personhood debate, and that was in, like, 2011 to 15. But, you know, it, it, it always came back to, well, the woman's right to choose versus, well, what about this baby? And we were always talking past each other. So it was interesting how the personhood, even the personhood argument seemed to, like, bring people together on, like, this is, this is a human and there's value here, but why?
2: Right, when I was in college, I was a social work major. So oh. they, one time I finally forced a debate on this in class. And my <laughs> forced a debate? I forced <laughs> it, and my professor said, okay, here are the rules. Go ahead, Catherine. And I was shocked at the end of class, one of the students came up to me, and he was what, probably 21, 20. And he said, you know, I had never thought of it as the rights of the person in the womb. Really, And so it was just shocking to me that somebody was this age and had never heard that argument. They had just heard, you know, pro-life people want to take away women's rights and they want to control women. But I think <laughs> that it really does resonate with people when they start to think, oh, is, is there another life involved? And if so, what rights attach to that person?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've, heard, I've actually heard people say that it's not a human.
2: Yeah. Have you heard that before? I actually think I hear that more often than I hear, (laughs) I think that this is a human, but they deserve no rights. So I actually (laughs) think it's more popular, the clump of cells argument.
1: I Well, there was one person who I had this debate because I regularly do this maybe online because it's so fun. You Um,
2: you do do it a lot online. And
1: you (laughs) – yeah, but you don't. I don't. I don't. Weigh you, but you like that. it in person, though. It's you know. I think it's it's easier in person because it's hard to be mean to somebody if you're looking at them in the face, <laughs> than if you're behind <laughs> the wall on the on the computer. Like this guy's probably like
2: he's gonna get it. He
1: just he hates everything. No, there. What was I gonna say? That I had the very the most recent one. I had somebody said when I'm arguing this whole they're a human from conception and that is there, so there's value there. And they said, "Well, I wouldn't have cared if I was ab- aborted, be- mm. you know, because I'd be dead. So who cares?" And I said, "Okay, so does that mean if someone came up behind you and killed you without you having realized it, you're okay with that too?"
2: What was the response?
1: The response was, "You hate women, blah blah blah." Right? Is, the, is this? <laughs> right? <laughs> they just went back into that thing that you talk about that. Um, yeah they, they the the pattern I noticed was they diverge into other things when there's something they haven't heard mm-hmm. which I get I think I've done that too even when I'm like I don't know how to deal with this but but I was I was kind of fascinated by the his whole like well personhood doesn't work but you, this is about the equal rights and that's how everything changed but then hes there was a question afterward that we didn't get to hear just now, but that where someone asked, well, then what is the humanness, right? That was the centrality was like, it's, it has to do with some humanness. And he's like, sort of like, well, I didn't try to define that so specifically. But when I first heard it, I thought, well, maybe we do need to define, well, what is humanness? Because that's kind of where everything converges in the argument, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's crucial to the argument. And I was actually. A little surprised he just didn't get into biology as much as he did i don't know if he was intentionally trying to steer clear of that i think it was in his answer to what is human that he talked about how well humans reproduce humans there's not that couldn't be anything else um but there was really no kind of understanding that there's the unique dna at the moment of conception and to me, that's huge is humans reproduce humans. And at conception, there's a new human with their own unique DNA. And if you stop the natural progression of growth, then you are ending a life. And that's a human life. So whether you stop the progression at toddler years, at adolescent years and adulthood, or at right. five weeks, you're right. stopping the progression of a human life. And that's Ending the life.
1: So, is that what you meant when you said he didn't get into the biology? Is yeah,
2: really- I was surprised at that because I think that a lot of people that tend to be pro-choice really do want to hear these scientific arguments of mm-hmm. what is, you know, give me the proof, give me the proof. And I think that that is incredibly linked to. Have you
1: ever have you ever done that before with the science and the, when they're like, give me the proof, and then you say, well, yeah, it's a human, and then. Do you ever get a good...
2: Yeah, then usually the answer is, well, they don't have any rights.
1: (laughs) Right, right, exactly. That's what I noticed too, is first, it's like, let's do the science thing. And then you do the science thing, and they are like, well, but you know what? Never mind, that's actually not so important. They're not human because they're not, like conscious or aware and that was the other really interesting thing when he had that thing about the gunshot right there's a gun that shoots the the cockroach the elephant Mm -hmm. and then the three people it was like it was like newborn toddler adult or whatever and that the whole because the whole personhood thing creates such problems because your group you group animals and humans of a certain development together but you wouldn't include newborns because they don't have those sort of characteristics that aren't even necessarily random but It's like, uh, you know, Peter Singer and his whole, right, because I think he was the guy, one of the most prominent philosophers on the personhood thing. And I think he concluded, yes, based on this, newborns are not persons, therefore they don't have value. I mean, at least he's consistent, but it's also terrifying.
2: (laughs) It is terrifying. And even just to see the discrepancies, I mean, we see it in the law. In some states, if if somebody, a third party kills a pregnant woman, then Mm -hmm. he or she is guilty of a double homicide versus if the mother makes that decision, and, not, and in some states, it isn't even just if the mother makes that decision. She has to make that decision with the abortionist doctor. So, like, for instance, if a woman is just intentionally kills her child on her own, but not in the abortion clinic setting, then that—or even unintentionally hurts her child, then mm-hmm. she can be prosecuted. And so just seeing— when is value attached and when is it not? It seems to be in the law. It's only attached if the mother intentionally wills to keep her child.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, see, that's interesting because I think we as society place value on what we will and don't, right? The idea of consent and what you want and don't want are obviously things that matter. But we we also have those limitations in the law as well. It's like murder is illegal because like, yes, you want to do what you want to do, but harming another person, and then you have to come up with an argument about why you're not harming that person or why it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. But despite the fact that he said earlier, you know, I have these arguments and I feel the way I do um, about this, the pro-life view is because of science and philosophy and not because of emotions, is true. And a lot of people, I think, value that a lot. But a lot of people don't. I mean, they actually care. It is about the feelings and the emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm an emotional person. I let lo- you know, I love watching the. Me too. A good Myers em-
2: Briggs. I'm an F.
1: Oh really? Which? What are you on Myers? briggs ENFJ. I don't know about that. Really? I oh I read into Myers Briggs. I don't know if you might be ENFJ. I'm an ENFP. That's fairly similar. Oh a P. But yeah, it, but okay, let's just uh, let's just take for granted you're an ENFJ. That's true. So people like us who are feely, you know, we we enjoy those things. Like movies that are emotional. That's right I mean. The, you, ha- I think we have to have the argument from the philosophical and scientific view, and have the emotional thing. Right? I agree. Yeah, I mean, look at the. Um, I think you you may know about this more than I do. But we even make laws across states and past things based on that sort of stuff, right, like mm-hmm. requiring this mother to do a sonogram so they can see their child, because right. I think there's been a lot of success there in doing that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: and even, I mean, protecting the unborn, the Lacey Peter, in response to what her husband did in killing her and her child. Boz were born because of the outrage of the community that this man would kill his pregnant wife, mm. and recognizing that there was an additional loss there, it wasn't just Lacey, it was Connor as well, and, I mean, even when we look at the worst tragedies in history, when we look at horrible instances of life being taken, there is an emotional response to that, as mm-hmm. there should be, because these are horrors that are happening. And so I think that the human reaction, you know, that, that does matter.
1: Right. So do you think we should have some kind of plan where we're sort of attacking from all fronts? And like, do we do that in legislation by continuing these things like heartbeat bill and that sort of stuff to like tug at the heartstrings, but also tug at the logical, rational arguments at the same time?
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a huge response. I mean, the pro-choice side is saying, you know, you're not understanding what women are going through, and as you know, as you know, I had, a, I have a very difficult pregnancy of just being very, very sick, and yeah. I think that. You know understanding what women go through when they're pregnant and the difficulties of this and yes this is a tremendous blessing but some women this is incredibly difficult and so i think the pro-choice side is accuses the pro-life side of not caring about the women and not understanding all that goes into pregnancy mm-hmm. and that for us to be able to emotionally respond to that and say women we hear you we understand this is very difficult right. and we're here for you and we're going to help you that shows that we understand what women are going through, and mm-hmm. that emotional connection is huge. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that's another important advancement as we were getting back to the beginning of you know, require new arguments, the Mm -hmm. kind of standing with the women is something new I've seen in the past 10 years Mm -hmm. of kind of the feminist for life approach to this is that women deserve better. And even, you know, the Louisiana Supreme Court case that's up before the court of there are regulations that require the doctors to be equipped in a certain way to handle women is that women deserve better than how they've been being treated.
1: Yeah. Did you I don't know if you were able to make it to the marsh. We had it actually sort of recently. But I know you've
2: the March for Life. Yeah, the March for Life out there. This year. Yeah. This year I couldn't because yeah, yeah I was serving the pro life
1: movement in a different yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Stick with my baby. Exactly. But. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. But um, but you've been before, I think. Yeah, right? this
2: was my first year not going. It oh, was, that's it too was bad. Yeah, it was devastating.
1: Yeah. But they so like we went out and walked out the door to go head over to the march and not probably not walking more than five or ten seconds. This woman just kind of hollers oh, you want to, we had our pro-life signs with us. And she's like, oh, you want to go back to the, back to the the hangers in the alleyways, huh? And I didn't even understand. I didn't understand what was going on you until she rest. was long gone. So no, you know, nobody said anything to her, but, but that, it was just so funny. The vitriol of like, that's the, they see people with a sign that says, you know, love them both. Mm-hmm. And even then they're still like, oh, you hateful bigots who want to kill children and, and, and blah, blah, blah. So I think you're right about we have to do all this stuff because obviously you know some people either, for whatever reason or not, getting, getting there and sort of like understanding um, that, that disconnect between this is a human, this is the, the value of the life, we care about women and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, any closing thoughts?
2: I mean, I thought it was an interesting talk. I think Josh did a good job. I really commend him for his work on the yeah. college campuses. And, I mean, we got to keep fighting the good fight for life.
1: Indeed. Catherine Beck Johnson, it was a pleasure to have you. We'll have you again soon. You uh, give rousing discussions both <laughs> on and off the microphone. For more, go to lecturemefrcorg slash lectureme uh, to hear all of our episodes.